0: previously on the Who's Who podcast. All right, moving on to... Johnny Thunder. Johnny Thunder. <laughs> Completely different kind of Johnny Thunder. This is the Cowboy Johnny Thunder by Gil Kane. Now, this character was around in the 1950s, legitimately, and not just Shag thought he was. He really was around in <laughs> the 1950s, which Gil Kane drew it, and he had something like, I don't know, about 30 different appearances, so he was, he was a pretty recurring character in all American Western. And man, let me tell you, I, on this show, I have said there's been some good Gil Kane entries and there's been some straight-up bad Gil Kane entries. This one... Is beautiful. Glad you said that. This is a great piece. Oh my gosh. You got in the foreground, you've got Johnny Thunder down on one knee, you know, blanging away at it. I don't know what you call that when you're banging the, the hammer on the gun and shooting it, you know, cowboy style. In his face in shadows with the hat. The clothes are in motion. It almost looks a little Simonson esque. It's a. I mean, but kill Kane came first, make no mistake. But anyway, really nice shot of him. And then the serpent takes it up a notch. Uh, You've got the shot, the close-up of Johnny Thunder in his civilian identity. I swear to God, he looks like Clark Kent. I mean, he looks like a a really nice, solid Superman, but not like a ripoff of Superman, but just looks like a nice shot. you got him riding a horse. You've got then him in plain clothes. Oppositely, in a nice design, is Madam 44, who is sort of his nemesis, eventual wife, who, by the way, is really hot. And
1: it's a really,
0: really nice
1: piece. Yes. Yeah, I love the logo. Everything's great. This this, is, this looks like a um, like you talked about Johnny Pearl being in like an 80s TV series. This was totally a late 50s TV series. Oh yeah, it is. Right after oh, gunsmoke. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and his origin is kind of cool. It's a guy who it's it's almost like
0: it's little hints of Daredevil or, or Daredevil would be hints of this. He is is he's the son of a, a sheriff and a and a teacher. And his mom dies, and on her deathbed she says, "Promise me you won't use bullets. Uh, you'll use brains, and you'll teach kids and all this stuff." And you know, so he agrees to his mom's so thing. Goes becomes a teacher. His dad wants him to become a, a sheriff, and so there's a lot of tension there with his dad. Now that his mother's passed, he's trying to fulfill her. Or wish, and in the end, he ends up. He doesn't want to break his mom's rules, so he doesn't want to become a sheriff type character or deputy or whatever it was. So, but instead, he takes makes his own costumed identity. And it's like in the old west, you know, how do you make a costumed identity? Well, he would buy what was it called? Disguise powder or something like that. <laughs> Costumer's hair dust. So he would turn his blonde hair black with customers' hair dust to appear black, and then he'd wear a helmet, kind of sort of, or not a helmet, he'd wear a hat, very low strung hat so you couldn't see his eyes and everything. He'd look like a completely different dude. So,
1: pretty cool. Yes, very cool. Very nice. And again, it makes me want to go find these comics and read them.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It looks like it was probably a fun, almost superhero western, you know. Of Who's That?, a spinoff to the Who's Who podcast, which focuses on a single character that Rob or I first discovered via their Who's Who listing. We're going to look at the history of the character in the DCU and whether their appearance in Who's Who was enough or if it was worth more exploration. And can you believe this, Rob? It has been a year since
1: we did the last Who's That episode. Now, we've done a whole bunch of Who's Who, but we haven't done a Who's That in a year. I can't believe this. That is that is shocking news when you told me that, and I realized that I am – I've been – in our private uh, group chat, I make fun of it all the time, but apparently I am now part of a Hero points S <laughs> show that only only comes out once a year. So it's I'm sorry about that, scheme. everybody.
0: It's your pyramid scheme that you're welcome to join. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um,
1: I, it's funny. I mean, I, I really feel like we did Captain Fear just a few months ago. I know. But It's crazy. I, I can't believe that was a year ago. So, oh, yeah, we so. really – and we, we talked as soon as we got done with Captain Fear. We were like, that was fun. Let's do more of those. And <laughs> a year later, well, here we are. Well, we've, we've got a whole
0: bunch in mind. We're not going to tell you who they are, but we have a whole bunch. for are like, oh, I want to do this one and this one and this one. And apparently we're just not good at pulling the trigger, but we're here now. And I believe we're probably re-energized enough to get uh, doing some more of these as well.
1: Yes, we both had a lot of fun talking about this character.
0: Yep. Now, Rob, would you please uh, Sort of review the purpose of the show For the people at home who f-
1: may have forgotten Over the course of the past year What the purpose of this spin-off is <laughs> Yes, back in the 20th century when we did the last episode uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean the whole thing of Who's Who is that when we were going through the original 26-volume series uh, We were occasionally Both either Shag or I or both of us Discovering a character for the first time In the pages of Who's Who That was part of the appeal of that original series Was that it was going back into the history of DC Comics and digging up some old characters that probably hadn't made an appearance in a long time, but were significant at one point enough to the company that the uh, yeah. powers in charge did, thought it, you know, they deserved to get a listing. And so once, once in a while, there would be a character, Shag and I were like, I don't even know who this person is outside of their who, who's who listing. So we thought it would be fun uh, to do like this spinoff show and pick a character that we only knew very little about and... Look and see. What else is there? What, what, why did they deserve a listing? And, of course, the first episode I did with Dr. Ange, we did it on the Batman villain, the Crime Doctor. That was a lot of fun. And then Shag and I did Captain Fear, which was a real blast because there were some great Captain Fear comics. Oh, yeah. That you oh, and yeah. I had never read. Uh, and so that was a that was a robust. So we you know, we have a, a as as Shag just said, we have a whole list of characters that we want to get to and it's just a matter of picking one. But we, we finally did around get around to this episode that we're gonna talk about the great Western hero, Johnny Thunder, because boy as as whoa, the whoa, as, what, what?
0: Western I thought we were talking about the guy with the bow tie and the genie. No, no,
1: of course we're not. Uh, Wait, the, the, what about the girl in the white pants? We're not suit? talking about Harry. Like, the other genie thing. No, 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 because I didn't discover Johnny Thunder through Who's Who. I read that <laughs> miniseries. Uh, no, as, as the intro suggests, that was a clip from the old episode of Who's Who. We both really fell in love with that Johnny Thunder listing. We were just mm-hmm. like, this is great. So we took this as an opportunity to go back and find some old Johnny Thunder comics and read them.
0: Yeah. So it's, it, I had a lot of fun, more fun than I expected. Like I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I uh, – Rob even said before I got recording, he's like, boy, you, you put down a lot of notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, it was a big document.
0: I got really excited about this, so yeah. Now, before we get much further, though, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of Who's That is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collect editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, there are no collections of Johnny Thunder, which is a real crying shame. Honestly, it is. But, Rob, what did you bring to the table?
1: Well, it was sort of funny. Last week I picked a Gil Kane-related book, not realizing that this this week we'd be talking about Gil Kane again so much. I picked another Gil Kane book. In this case, it's actually a sort of biography of him. It's called Sparring with Gil Kane. Debating, ah! debating the history and aesthetics of comics. Yeah, no, we're not actually punching Gil Kane. That would be terrible. Well, last uh,
0: time I thought he was a secret underwater agent. Yeah, right. now, he's, now he's fisticuffing. Now this he's a
1: great. boxer. Yeah, the pugilistic legend Gil Kane. Nice. <laughs> along with drawing every major comic book character during his 50-year career and in conceiving independent graphic novels before the term had any meaning, Gil Kane was also a fascinating conversationalist, engaging with other artists about the subjects he was most passionate about. Included are Gil Kane talking, uh, talking with Hal Foster, Walt Kelly, Noel Sickles, Harvey Kurtzman, Bill Everett, Denny O'Neill, Howard Chaikin, Walt Simonson, Robert Crum, Jack Jackson, and Donald Phelps. On full display is is Kane's critical acuity. Uh, wit and eagerness to engage in opinions contrary to his own. Sparring with cocaine is a masterclass on the comics form. It's from Fanatic The pages uh, page count is two hundred seventy-two. It's normally thirty-two ninety-nine. In stock trade's price is sixteen dollars and nine cents. That's thirty percent off. I mean, it's it's unusual. Here's a chance to. Like here in long form, the thoughts of someone that – I can only speak for myself. I only really knew as a comic book person. I never read a lot of interviews with him. But here's a whole book of him talking to other creators, which sounds really fascinating. So sparring with Gil Kane. An amazing group of creators as well. Wow. Him talking to Walt Simonson? Like what's that like?
0: That's got to be fascinating reading. I just R Crumb. I mean, wow! So mm-hmm. that's that's got to be cool. Well, I picked something a little obscure from Gil Kane as well. Something I I really didn't even know existed until I did my research, and now I'm absolutely fascinated with this thing. It's called Starhawk's Hawks Hardcover Volume One. Now we've talked about we we're very familiar with Gil Kane's superhero stuff, but he did a whole lot of not superhero stuff. Johnny Thunder being a perfect example. In this case, he did a science fiction comic strip in the newspaper uh, in the 1970s with Ron, and I I don't know, is it Goulart? Ron Ron Goulart, yeah. Yeah, so he did it with the the guy Rob just mentioned, uh, and, and it was a fascinating comic strip because they they insisted at least in the beginning on it being two comic strips high. So the, the, it was a very different format than other comic strips of the time. A lot of newspapers weren't happy about the format, and in the long run, they they lost the battle of the publishers. They weren't able to keep it in that format forever. But uh, it's you know they they've collected these in this beautiful collection uh, by IDW. It's 320 pages. It's black and white. They, they've they displayed them so you can read the comic strips in their original comic strip format. And it really, really looks absolutely amazing. I actually lost myself last night for a long time. Uh, I, I, I couldn't read it online because it's not republished anymore. But a whole bunch of the strips are out there just in random places. So I was reading completely out of context a ton of daily strips from this series. And they were just captivating the artworks amazing the storytelling
1: is solid the the characters seem interesting I mean I was just fascinated by this so uh, are you familiar with the Starhawk strip I've heard of it and I knew about some of the the kind of the the history behind it in terms of how they got it launched but I've never actually read any of the strips okay
0: well it really knocked my socks off so uh, on in stock trades right now I think all three volumes of this collection are out there the first volume goes for uh, normally 39 dollars in in stock trades you can get it 30% off so it's only $27.99 and again after reading through quite a bit of this it really looks like it's if you're into sci-fi comics or strips along the along those lines stuff that's outside of the superhero genre uh, this stuff looks amazing and again it's Gil Kane at his peak art and it just is gorgeous so well worth your time so Starhawks hardcover volume 1 and for these and all of your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, uh, Rob, we're going to be talking about a lot of different Johnny Thunder strips here. If people wanted to see some of these images,
1: where could they possibly go? You go to the website, FireAndWaterPodcast.com, and look at the accompanying gallery post, and we will have some, some of the beautiful pages, the beautiful Gil Kane pages from uh, these two stories that we're going to be talking about uh, there, because these things are just oh, they're gorgeous to behold. Oh,
0: absolutely. Also, go out there and leave your comments as well. We want you to be part of the discussion. Now, you people who listen to the Who's Who podcast and, and who's that are not shy with the comments by any means. But we would love to hear your feedback either on Gil Kane or Johnny Thunder or just you know any aspect of, of niche comics. So please go out there and join the conversation. So to start off with, um, let's talk about who Johnny Thunder is. Again, not the bow tie guy, not the, uh, not the white pantsuit lady. Johnny Thunder, the Western character. He is the son of a sheriff and a schoolteacher. And Johnny's mother made him promise on her deathbed never to use guns and instead follow in her footsteps as a schoolteacher. Johnny, however, soon found himself in a situation where violence was actually required. And his father, who was the aging sheriff, Sheriff Taine, had asked for John to become deputized in a system in protecting Mesa City. Well, John was very conflicted by his vow to his mother. And his desire to help his father. So he created this dual I- or second identity of Johnny Thunder. He would change his clothes and he would use this, uh, uh, I forgot what they call it, some sort of powder uh, to dust his hair and turn his hair from blonde to black. And in the months that followed uh, his decision to become Johnny Thunder, he and his father, again, his father was completely unaware that his son was Johnny Thunder. They fought as, uh, admirably side by side protecting Mesa City. And in the publishing world, it went for 13 years Uh, Johnny's Adventures graced DC Western Comics where he was called the Western Whirlwind and in his final three appearances in the 1960s he was uh, thwarted by the masked female what they called the Robin Hood of the West who went by the name of Madam 44 which was a name
1: given to her by Wyatt Earp in the pages. Now, of course, years later, it was revealed in DC Comics Presents Whatever Happened to story printed in 1980, which, of course, was really the, the first Johnny, St- Johnny Thunder story either Shag and I had ever read. Uh, mm-hmm. During an encounter with Johnny's enemy Silk Black, Madame 44 accidentally learned that Johnny Thunder's true identity, while Johnny learned that Madame 44 was actually his lady friend, Jean Walker, a local photographer. Admitting their love for one another, John and Jean revealed their true identities to Sheriff Tain and were married soon after, promising to help the Sheriff keep the peace in Mesa City. Uh, and you know, Johnny Thunder, even though he's got a superhero-y name, uh, he didn't have any special powers. He was a superb athlete and a hand-to-hand combatant. He was also an expert sharpshooter and a superior horseman. He rode a white stallion whose odd dark marking on his forehead earned it the name Black Lightning, which, of course, you know, would, DC would get a lot of use out of uh, later on.
0: Uh, a <laughs> little Harry Potter with that lightning bolt.
1: Right. It is ironic, though, the, the first story you know I ever read of Johnny Thunder is the last Johnny Thunder story.
0: It's true. That is true. <laughs> well, it's not the last one, but it's, uh, it's the
1: conclusion. It, it, it's the, it's, yeah. it, it's putting the end to this character that never got an ending because his books just got canceled and then he just didn't appear again except for little cameo appearances.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it, his issue one nineteen, which we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, it ends on a cliffhanger, and it says, "Come back next time for the sequel to this story," where because <laughs> literally, uh, John Tane, who's uh, who's Johnny Thunder, and. Um, Oh, I forgot her name. What, what was her name? Uh, Jean. Both of them suspected that the other one was the, was who they were secretly. And they're like, I think I know he's Johnny Thunder. I think I know she's Madame 44. Hmm. And that's where it literally leaves off. So, yeah. So, uh, Mike Diffenbacher said, you know, there's a plot thread I want to tie up. So, <laughs> thanks for that, Mike. We appreciate it. It led us to this. <laughs> Now, I I didn't realize this I didn't see this noted anywhere but I stumbled across uh, uh, realizing that Johnny's outfit actually changed over the years in the earlier adventures um, now he always had black hair as we talked about um, you know in the we even talked about in the opening you, you heard us in the pre-recorded one from years ago uh, in the early adventures he wore this tan jacket with a lot of fringes and underneath that was a black sort of shirt and his pants color varied but that that tan jacket with the fringes was always like a signature look for him and he had a red bandana tied around his neck for so really like scarf and a white hat. Now, to me, that looks kind of... Didn't Son of Tomahawk wear a similar ha- outlook like that? Yeah, he had that
1: fringe jacket kind of yeah. thing. Yeah.
0: So, it, I don't know whether they... I don't remember when Son of Tomahawk came along, but... Oh, um, it was
1: much later. my was, oh, okay. Son of Tomahawk was the, the late 60s.
0: Okay. Well, at some point, they changed his outfit uh, during All-Star Western. So he went from having the tan fringes outfit to Later Ventures. He wears a red button-up shirt, which has got like the double-breasted buttons, kind of like an engineer shirt, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he wore a blue hat, blue pants, and blue bandana, and It was sort of scarf thing. It became a very iconic look for him, and that's the look you usually see. The red shirt, the blue hat, and the blue pants. And, uh, and I'm looking here at my Crisis poster, you know, this big five-foot poster done by Alex Ross and George Perez that I'm so proud of and it took me forever to find Johnny Thunder because they did his hair blonde and I don't know why they did his hair blonde on this but I, I was sure that I'm like that must be a different western character so I had to get out the keywords because they identify all 500 characters I'm like oh look at that okay so that's actually what led me to figuring out he, he wore different costumes at different points so um now uh, what what got us here, Rob? So you've talked a little bit about it, but what sparked our interest that led us here?
1: Well it really was that Who's Who listing, which was in issue number eleven of the series, which was the icicle to the other Johnny Thunder uh listing. Uh and then it was the subsequent uh whatever happened to story because we, we like that listing. I mean, um and then he's in the he's in the more recent suit, uh a little more superhero y colors. Uh, in the second suit. But we really liked the listing. I mean, it's beautifully drawn. It sounded interesting. I like the idea of using like the dust to change your hair color. Like, that's <laughs> a kind of interesting thing. Um, but I mean we really just thought that the listing was great. And I remember we were, I think we mentioned it kind of briefly in the clip, but I think we also talked in other respects about how some of these characters that hadn't had an appearance for a long time, but got an appearance in Who's Who, and, and then especially in this case, this drawn by Gil Kane, who was a heavy hitter, Uh, I mean, that was kind of like an extra effort to go get the original artist and put him in the book and whatever. And it felt it was kind of a tribute to a character that didn't have a lot of modern currency. But clearly the editors really liked it. And as we saw, he had a very long run as a lead feature. So, I mean, you know, he certainly sold his number of comics, his fair share of comics when when Westerns were a big thing. So that was one of the the ones that really popped out at us. Like, well, I don't know who this guy is, but this listing is terrific. And then it was just cemented by the – who by the DC Comics Presents story? Because we both love that DC Comics Presents story, and it made us say, "Is what, are this what Johnny Thunder stories read like?" Because this is just terrific.
0: Yeah, so it really it's it's down to um, uh, Gil Kane and Mike Diffenbacher that that led us here. Really, it is I mean just I think a lot to Gil Kane just the dynamic artwork that he put behind it. Oh, yeah. so good. Now, now if I remember right, he helped
1: co-create the character. If I remember right, I think so, but I don't exactly know.
0: Yeah, so yeah, you may not be able to quote us on that, folks, but here, here, here's sort of the publishing history. His first appearance was in All American Western number 100, which came out in August 1948, and he was consistently published from 1948 all the way to 1961. That's a long time. So it was either every month, or if the series was bimonthly, it was every other month. And this is a perfect example of you always hear about how superhero comics gave way to other genres, right? You always hear like superhero comics went out of fa- went out of fa- a phase or a popular towards the end of the Golden Age and other stuff came along. Well, this is the real world example. I just told you that he first appeared in all American Western number 100. I actually lied to you and you didn't even catch it. Get on your toes, people, pay attention. because there is no all American Western number 100, even though it all says that's where he first appeared. because the reality was all American comics, dist- distinction between comics and Western all American comics was the title up until issue 102. And if you recognize that name, yes, that's the series that Alan Scott premiered in. So there's actually a three-issue window where both Johnny Thunder and Alan Scott are both in the same comic book. How cool is that? I mean, that's what what a handoff. You know, Alan Scott runs in all All, all American Comics for some you know almost hundred issues. Johnny Thunder takes over and then keeps it going for quite a long time as well. That's pretty darn cool.
1: Green Lantern's like, why is there a Western character in my comic book? What's going on here? <laughs> is somebody not telling me something?
0: Right, well, and he got the hint, because three issues later, he was out, he was out. and they changed, they changed the name in, uh, for All-American. All, so issue 103 went from All-American comics to All-Western comics, uh, and so he he remained there in, in that series for 26 issues, 100, issue 100 to 126. Then they moved him over to All-Star Western. Well, once again, folks, we just talked about superheroes handing off to uh, Westerns. Well, All-Star Western began life as All-Star comics. And if you know your history, that's the series that launched the Justice Society of America. So it was All Star Comics from issue 1 through 57. Issue 58 became All Star Western. And then Johnny Thunder shows up
1: in issue uh, 67. And he stayed there until the title uh, ended at 119. Obviously, when All-Star Comics was restarted in the 70s with the Super Squad, and they picked picked it up with issue number 58, somebody at DC forgot that the book had been changed over to All-Star Western, (laughs) and there basically already is an All-Star Comics number 58. So there's sort of essentially two of those books out there. Well. The funny thing, uh, because All Star All Star Comics
0: number fifty seven is like a personal, or fifty eight, whatever. Um, it's fifty eight, right? Yeah. Right. It's the, the, the 70s revival right, yeah. is like one of my all time favorite books ever. Uh, I have a real affection for this. It's some of the earliest JSA stories I read, so I have it pretty well memorized. And I have memorized the letters page, which includes a letter from Roy Thomas. So Roy sitting over at Marvel and writes a letter to DC that they actually publish, where Roy writes. Hey, I subscribed to All Star Comics as a kid, and it changed over to All Star Western uh, at issue 58. So I expect I should get my subscription to the new All Star Comics issue 58 for free. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great sport about it. Very funny.
1: I hope that they I hope that they fulfilled that uh, that request. Uh, it is funny to look, nowadays. I think the, most fans that read comics are were used to just start a title starting over at number one constantly. Uh, titles really don't change names anymore to keep the numbering because you know, comic companies are desperate to start over. But yeah. back in the old days when uh, you wanted to have that consistent numbering because it, you had to appeal to newsstand vendors and they wanted some sort of proof of concept. And if they looked at a book and they saw that it was number 102, they were like, oh, I guess I've been carrying this for a while. Just put it back on the racks. So you mentioned all-American comics becoming all-American Western. Well, that wasn't – the book wasn't done at that point because later on down the line, it became all-American men of war so Jeez. dc just kept slapping whatever was trendy after the phrase <laughs> all-american just to keep the book going so if it was around today i'm guessing it would be called all-american batman i guess right. i don't know <laughs> in the 70s it would have been all-american disco you yeah, know whatever know. all the, well i guess all-american space fantasy like in like oh, 1978 yeah. sure. or something so sure
0: <laughs> oh my gosh uh, well um Johnny Thunder's last regular appearance was All-Star Western uh, number 119, which was the June-July issue from 1961. So that's where he disappears with that cliffhanger, as I said. Then in 1973, uh, and I didn't even know about this. I stumbled across this completely by accident. Uh, In 1973, they did a reprint series called Johnny Thunder. I had no idea. It doesn't show up in a lot of the databases I was using either. So I, I, I just, again, stumbled across it. So it was like three or four issues where they just reprinted stuff. And let's see what else. Uh, during his long history, he had a sidekick for many adventures. It was a Native American young boy named uh, Swift Deer, and uh, they would go on adventures together. And uh, it was it was nice because it, some historians feel like they were trying to uh, address the Native American population in a positive light. in some of those stories with Swift Deer, which I thought was you know, is, is very I guess they considered it progressive at the time. And then you hear a lot about Madam 44. We've already talked about her. We know Johnny Marys. Or if you read about him, they always talk about like she was his arch rival and all this stuff. And it makes it sound like they had a long history absolutely not true. Um, she only appeared in his final three adventures in the 1960s. Uh, basically right from the get-go, it was clear there was all this romantic tension between them. I mean, they were sneaking kisses and hugs and like, you know, he could, he was blind in one adventure and she her arm didn't work, so she was pointing his arm to shoot the gun and he was carrying her. I mean, it's very, very heavy romance right from the start. So it was clear that this character was introduced to be a romantic love interest and it was clear that it was going to itself out very quickly, so if they'd had another issue, I'm pretty sure they would have both known each other's identity. And she really was a Robin Hood, uh, is how they did it. She was robbing from the crooked rich, and re- actually returning that money to the people that had been wronged, and had been fleeced. So she was she was still, a, even though she was a criminal, she was she was a good character, definitely. And uh, one of the things also i, I just like to point out, and, and J. David Weider always makes me think about this kind of stuff, there's actually a hint of Daredevil in the Johnny Thunder series, in that you know, on his mother's deathbed, he promises her he will not, you know, that he'll go to be a schoolteacher like she wants him to be and he won't turn to violence. So he actually creates the Johnny Thunder identity so that he's not truly betraying his mother. You know, John Tane is not shooting guns out there. It's Johnny Thunder. It's a whole different person. So it's, it's uh, what David, J. David Weider calls a sneaky lawyer trick where Matt Murdock promised his dad, I won't go on the streets and fight. Well, he doesn't. Daredevil does instead. So it's, it's sort of like he found a loophole. So I, I don't know if Daredevil was intentionally, you know, inspired by the Johnny Thunder idea, but I, I see a lot of similarities into it.
1: Hmm. One of the things I noticed when looking at all the, the history of his covers uh, on Mike's Amazing World was that uh, I mean I guess back in the back then you know they didn't did, comic book companies only could go by sales and reader mail mm-hmm. and only reader mail could ever really especially if you had an anthology book how did you know what was selling how did you know what feature was people were buying it for right. uh, and you could only guess I guess by the mail and so. All-Star Western, uh, I mean, he, he would share the cover uh, alternately with the Trigger Twins. Uh, right. Often as not, they would, get the, they would get the cover and then he would not. And then as of number 108, the book changed from All-Star Western starring Johnny Thunder. And All-Star Western got pushed way up to the top, almost just like a, as a little afterthought. And then in giant letters it said, Johnny Thunder. So they, mm. they clearly were thinking, oh, okay, he's the big seller here. And then nine issues later, the book was canceled. <laughs> or 11 issues later I'm sorry but I mean obviously that experiment didn't last because you know as you mentioned they bring in Madame 44 three issues later the, the book is canceled so the right. they were obviously winding down and maybe the sales of All-Star Western were were petering out and they thought well Johnny Thunder is probably our most popular feature so let's let's see if we can turn the, the the boat around by making the book more about him but apparently it didn't work
0: yeah, it's interesting when you when you read that last issue, issue one nineteen, uh, or one I mean, they blur together a bit. So because I, I read one seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, all the Madam Four 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 appearances, you start seeing ads for uh, the Flash because ah. like the earlier earlier ones that you because you and I read I read quite a bit going back pretty far into the fifties and stuff like that. But yeah, when you start reading the later ones, yeah, there'll be ads for the Flash or um I, I yeah I must have I saw one that had an ad for the Justice League. So they were around by sixty one, weren't they? Yes. Okay, yeah. There's an ad for like Justice League number six or something like mm-hmm, that in there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like okay, yeah. So this this is why it probably got canceled was superheroes were back on the rise.
1: Yep, the writing was on the wall, guys. Yeah.
0: So why don't we get in? Uh, Rob and I selected two different stories to talk about a little more in depth, and then uh, we'll talk more about like all the appearances he had after that and stuff like that. But why
1: don't we cover these two um, stories? Okay, I'm um, first. Uh, my the story I picked is called Johnny Thunder Day. By Robert Kaniger and, of course, Gil Kane. It appeared in All-Star Western number 86, which was on sale October 6, 1955. Uh, Johnny Thunder writes... Oh, back... wait.
0: What? Really? What? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's one month before. It's 30 days before uh, November 5, 1955.
1: What was November 5, 1955?
0: The single most important day in, in scientific time travel theory. Day, Doc
1: Brown invented the flux capacitor. For oh, God, okay, really, that was worth really? interrupting. My November fifth, nineteen fifty-five. That's really that strange to you. Uh, okay, all right. We're talking about a Western comic. You're bringing up Back to the Future. What the hell?
0: <sighs> We're talking about nineteen. And you know what? You, you have lost the audience.
1: You've oh, just yeah. Lost Uh-huh. Dog. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. no, like mm-hmm. interrupting my flow, that's really mm-hmm. yeah, okay. mm-hmm. Anyway, oh my god. Anyway, so Johnny Thunder, <laughs> in this story, oh, I hate you now. Johnny Thunder, you know, it's going to it's, it's going to be another year before we do another one of these. All right. So Johnny Johnny Thunder rides back to town having just finished another exciting adventure, resuming his real identity of teacher John Tane, he's informed by his sheriff father that he's decided that today is Johnny Thunder Day. In fact, it's such a big deal in this town that the one-room schoolhouse is closed so the kids can attend the ceremonies. Tane makes his way to the center of town and takes his seat, trying to figure out how he can make an appearance as Johnny Thunder while everyone can see him sitting there. The crowd goes restless, waiting for Johnny Thunder to show, so the of ceremony starts the contests. Among them is bull riding, and when the bull in question gets too out of control, Tane grabs it and lets it drag him out of town, where out of the town's prying eyes, he can change into Johnny Thunder. Johnny then begins to amaze the crowd with his expert marksmanship and bull riding abilities. From atop the bull, Thunder spies some rangy varmints trying to make off with the event's receipts, which were supposed to go to charity. Johnny shoots the handle off the suitcase containing the money, stopping the gang's leader in his tracks. He then makes quick work of the rest of the gang with a series of knockout blows. The gang now apprehended, schoolteacher John Tane reappears, telling his students to fill him in on what happened. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So now I will admit the reason I, I picked the story before I even read it. And the reason I picked it is because of the splash page, yeah, which we will, I can see, see that. we will see on the gallery. It is Johnny Thunder riding a bull bursting through a newspaper. And it says Johnny Thunder Day. It is so visually arresting that I am. I cannot believe this was not the cover. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. I, know, I know that we're already favoring Johnny Thunder, but come on. Really? This thing is a this thing is almost movie poster quality. It's, <laughs> it, the design is so unique. It's so stunning to see this black and white kind of photographic image but with the color drawings popping through. Like this is a cover. I can only I mean I'm sure Gil Kane when he drew it knew it wasn't going to be the cover. He just did it as a splash page. But I don't know how the editors could have looked at this and said this is anything but the cover of this comic. It is such a beautiful it stopped me in my tracks when I was looking at these stories.
0: Well, yeah, he's – it's it's great because he's – not only is he riding the bill, he's standing on the bull. Yeah, and he's got he's, his
1: gun out. He's got his yeah, lariat. He's got his gun yeah. out,
0: which he's shooting, and he's you know, whipping the lasso around in a lasso shape as well. So, I mean, he's just totally badassing this the whole way through. And Gil Kane is, is drawn this thing within an inch of his life. I just love the detail on it. And I think that newspaper – I don't think that's a photo stat. I think someone had to sit there – and scribble
1: that out maybe. Maybe it is a stat. I think it's a photo stat. I don't, oh, okay. I don't think All somebody right. would go to the effort of – that's a lot of extra work.
0: Well, it, it just – they they so not look like words that I was thinking maybe it's not. But either way, um, it just it looks great. It looks fantastic. And, you know, and Johnny just looks like a total boss and Gil Kane is so good at faces. And this is Kane – worth mentioning, this is Kane inking himself because that's mm-hmm. going to come up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just looks really good.
1: And he 's great at animals I mean that's, that's mm-hmm. I mean that's not a lot of artists know how to draw animals because they don 't get to draw them very much. Um, most superhero comics don 't feature animals anymore now of course, now the Western comics are long out of fashion, but I mean Kiilgang knew how to draw animals, he had to draw bulls, he had to draw cows and horses and stuff like that. so this thing I mean, I will admit I like these stories, but it really is the artwork that's dragging. That's, that's bringing me in it's just Gil kane King himself. this stuff is. So dynamic looking. It's so sharp. I love the little portrait of John Tain where I mean look, this story clearly by Robert Kaniger is a variation on a theme because this is essentially the same story they were running in Superman comics. Where, yeah. you know, they have a parade for Superman and Clark Kent's like, I'll cover it and they're like, Oh shoot, how am I gonna get to show up in Superman? It's the same idea except Johnny Thunder doesn't have superpowers. But I mean it's the same exact idea. And I'm w i am appreciate the fact that 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 Kaniger is kind of just you know t- taking this variation but again he's letting Kane really bring off some of these moments and like I love on the final page where it's just these three panels of Johnny Thunder beating the crap out of the gang that tried mm-hmm. to rob the, rob the charity I mean uh, we've talked about before that like Jim Aparo was really good at drawing punches that landed with nuclear level force <laughs> Gil Kane is not at that level in terms of how strong these punches look but he's up there because uh, and he draws these little like uh, like a little explosion things behind people's heads when they get hit i mean johnny thunder is just kicking ass uh and i really enjoy it i mean again this story is nothing new that you haven't read in a batman comic or superman comic or later on but the artwork is so distinctive it's so crisp i love the coloring by the way i love whoever colored this Mm-hmm. the use of using the foreground as like a single color there's a one shot of where they're watching Johnny Thunder uh, ride in on the horse and like all the people in the foreground are like in a purple and then you've got these colored the color characters in the background i mean it really is doing, does a great job of establishing foreground background and really popping you know for a story that has a lot of panels and has a lot of detail and a lot of figures going on Everything is just crisp and beautiful, and it just—this was such a total pleasure to read.
0: Go to page three. Uh, by the this is just a six-page story. By the way, yeah, create right. A lot here in six pages. Mm-hmm. Go to page three. That's my personal favorite. Okay. you get the side profile. You get two uh, in the top. You get two side profiles of John Tane, where his face just looks phenomenal. He looks great. I love his hairdo. I like. I want that hair. Of course, I want any hair, but I mm-hmm. love that hair. And then the the fourth panel, which is just all the the townies yelling, "We want Johnny Thunder!" Like each one of those faces looks distinct. Mm-hmm. The the detail work on it, it for. A panel, which was probably not something he needed to spend a lot of time on, really. He could have just drawn stick figures practically, you know, and just moved on. But he put the detail in here like one guy, you know, two people are cupping their hands, someone else, you can see the eyebrows and the forehead wrinkling and just all, so much of the detail.
1: It's just beautiful, it's stunning. Yeah, these are these are really really beautiful stuff. I mean, I don't. Uh, we talked about on the Who's Who show that later on in his career, Kane was inking with a tool called a rapidograph, which is mm-hmm. basically just an inking pen. And unless you are a master at a rapidograph, which I assume Kane was because he was a master, but you get kind of a, 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 a uniform line with a rapidograph. When you use a brush, you can get thick and thin, and you can give your 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 figures. Uh, a little more visual life because they have some depth and there's some variation of the line rapidographs everything is very flat and you have to be really master artist to pull that off and of course Kane was here I don't know that he was using a rapidograph at this point I think he was probably using a brush or maybe just a pen but the things are not quite as flat but he's clearly using a very thin line and it's that's that's unforgiving, considering how crappy comic book printing was mm. in 1955. I mean, a lot of that could really gum up and just get reduced down to just junk. But uh, everything here, again, is really sharp and very distinct. And for a story with a lot going on for six page six pages, mm-hmm. uh, and like I said, it was just it, it was just so much fun to read. And again, it really was that splash page. Like that is such a great yeah. opener. That I was glad that the story sort of lived up to it, but boy, is it—it's just a blast to read. I uh, now some of the
0: script stuff I want to talk about. Like I love the idea that it's Johnny Thunder Day, so schools closed, and, right. it's, and his dad basically just shows up as the sheriff and says, "By the way, your school's closed." It's not like you know, there's no formal announcement, it's not in the newspaper. I don't know, or maybe it was, but either way, it's just you know, you just get told you don't have, you're not having class today because of because of a, a local hero, which just cracks me well,
1: up. Well, I mean, most people in the old West they're dead by forty anyway, so what do you need to learn anything for? Fair enough. Uh, I like certain bits in here like uh, during the contest
0: where Johnny Thunder is showing how badass he is. Like they throw a bunch of coins up in the air and he literally shoots holes through every single one of the coins, which – that's got to be a superpower all by itself. I mean, that's crazy, super cool. Uh, I don't know if maybe that was an old west thing and people would do that, or it was yes, a gimmick. Yes, it
1: was. That was a big thing that you could shoot holes in tiny objects as they were moving. Yeah.
0: Was it a gimmick though? I mean, would they they would they fake it? Like you know? Like, no, you know, I think
1: it was. I think the idea was you were really. That's how good you were.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So, and then there's a phrase in here that that shows up throughout. Almost all the Johnny Thunder adventures I read, because I probably read about a dozen of them. Uh, owl hoots, I guess, is a term. And I don't know if it's unique to Johnny Thunder or all Western comics, but it's a term for bad guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, they call them owl hoots, which I just thought was was a stitch. Just cracked me up.
1: I love in that same panel how shocked he looks that there's somebody robbing the charity. Like, I like that he's kind of, like, not cynical. Yeah. He's like, those ornery owl hoots. He looks genuinely... Almost hurt that somebody is robbing the charity, which I think is yeah. really funny. It's like, how dare they? I never thought of that. You bunch of jerks.
0: <laughs> well, I also had a separate note, uh, similar to what you said about how this this does feel a lot like. Uh, I specifically said a Jimmy Olsen story, but yeah, it is that same kind of idea as you said, the Superman parade, and um, it's it's an idea where you've got these kids because it's all caused of these kids. These kids came and said, "Hey, school teacher, we're going to sit next to you." During the event, because we know Johnny Thunder will come say hi to you, right. so they're the ones who put him in that awkward position where he had to suddenly pull the, the the quick change. So it's that's what sort of reminds me of Jimmy Olsen would always accidentally create these awkward situations where uh, you know Clark had the same sort of problem. And this will be a repeating thing in, in a lot of the stories I read for Johnny Thunder. I found a lot of these same repeating Silver Age tropes. Sure. So sure. Um, this 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 is a pretty good example of what a Johnny Thunder story was like. The the secret identity switch. Giroof stuff was critical to the Johnny Thunder stories.
1: And not only is the dad like not only does the dad, Sheriff Tain, not know that his son is Johnny Thunder, he actually kind of looks down on his son as like this milk toast kind of weakling. Uh, much like Clark Kent, the way the Lois looks down at Clark Kent, like it's John Tane is kind of like this nebbish. He's got the glasses, and he's you know he still looks like a Gil Kane, he's square jawed, and he still looks like a heroic kind of guy. But I'm imagining that maybe he's even doing like a little squirrely voice, maybe when he's. doing John <laughs> And then when he's when he puts the hair dust in, then he's Johnny Thunder, is that kind of thing. And so the dad has got all these thought balloons of like basically, I wish my son wasn't such a puss. You know, but uh, what am I going to do? It's always always what they're doing. So, uh, I mean, again, another reason to love that story that Mike Diefenbacher did is that they finally reveal to the dad, hey, I was Johnny Thunder all along. Like, oh, okay, cool.
0: Yeah, yeah and and you're right the dad doesn't pull any punches in his thought balloons and and no. and, and it, it, this continues almost every single story they you know the idea that your first comic might not be anyone's first comic is uh is, so the dad almost every issue says something really nasty about mm-hmm. the son. Mm-hmm. so uh, well we're ready to move on
1: yeah let's move on to the oh. second one
0: okay I picked all-star western number 104 and uh, bringing it up here so I can look at it at the same time we're going through this. Now I went through, as I said, about a dozen of these Johnny Thunder stories trying to find the right one. I've got a whole bunch of runner-ups to talk about at the end that are that are all good stories, but I picked this one specifically because we've already done one story that's sort of the secret adventure, or I mean, secret identity Superman kind of story. This one I really feel like is uh, a true western story, really focused on that. So I went with this one. So it's from All Star Western number one hundred four, which is on the shelves October seventh, nineteen fifty. Fifty-eight. It's called "The Gauntlet of Thunder" by Robert Kaniger and Gil Kane. So, Old Billy Smith. Old Billy Smith. He's sitting on his street named after him. It's called Smith's Gauntlet. That's the name of the road. Once again, Old Billy Smith is running his mouth. He's relating how he ran a gauntlet of Native American warriors back when this was still Indian territory, back when the West was still wild, he would say. And uh, old Billy Smith says that Johnny Thunder will never face anything that exciting because they'll West has been tamed so later Johnny Thunder is patrolling the streets of Mesa City because the sheriff who's secretly his father is out with a posse hunting down the Rapidan gang, gang. Uh, Rapidan I guess is how you say it but unbeknownst to anyone the gang has infiltrated the town and soon Johnny Thunder is dashing through alleys diving through doors and ultimately getting roped and dragged by a horse through the town having to run his own sort of gauntlet with lots of fast thinking and sharpshooting uh, he saves the day by uh, knocking away guns And cutting the rope dragging Johnny behind the horse The gang is captured And old Billy Smith uh, old, old Billy Smith He renames the street Smiths and Thunder's Gauntlet Because so, he says You never can tell when the West is going to get wild again <laughs> <laughs> That is uh, the Gauntlet of Thunder So um, I, I gotta tell you This thing is just an absolute joy. I love. It. I'm looking at Brooklyn. This one's eight pages or seven and a half pages, so it's a little bit longer. But Gil Kane is just at his best in this thing. I love this so much. I like the story you did, and that splash page it just can't be beat. But from the the panel to panel in here, the action stuff in here with Gil Kane doing is amazing. Because uh, what dragged me to also dragged me to this story is Gil inking himself. Because shortly after this issue, uh, Joe Giella starts inking Gil Kane. Now we'll go, Joe Giella is a very skilled inker. At this point, in his like Gil Kane inking himself is really the best there is. You really – you lose a lot when someone else does it. And here you get a little bit of a different situation from the last story where you get the splash page uh, of this one where it's it's Johnny diving and he's shooting these two guys. He's shooting the guns out of their hands. And the cover – Johnny had the cover in this one. The cover has Johnny being dragged behind a horse and uh, he's also shooting sort of similarly so there's some there's some similarities to the covers i actually think the splash page is a little bit
1: better than the cover i don't know what do you think of those two uh, i well i thought this whole story was was really fun i mean it, it's it's much like a, how the other story is uh, you know just a a a variation on a the theme this is just like one big action sequence yeah uh, and i thought it was great and i can i just cannot see anybody getting dragged by a rope and not hear the Indiana Jones music when he gets pulled behind that Nazi truck, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's what it is. And it just made me think like, what a great movie this would have been like a Johnny Thunder movie. So I enjoyed this as a very different kind of Johnny Thunder story that it is just an action packed kind of, you know, real rip roaring adventure where you just think how like hot and dusty and dirty everything is. It, to me that you really felt like, like this is the old West so yeah, it just had that feel to it, and yeah, and the artwork again, once again, top drawer.
0: And you mentioned the dusty and everything. I mean, there's actually scenes where he's being dragged by the horse, and he consciously spins to stir up a bunch of dust, so it makes it harder for these guys to shoot him when they're dragging him through the gauntlet. So, I mean, he's really using his brains and all kinds of trick shots in this thing. I, uh, in fact. Interesting, in this one, he's shooting the guns out of people's hands, which, you know, okay, no surprise, but there's no mention of it in the dialogue at all. It's only in the artwork, which tells me that, and I'm making an assumption here, but it tells me that at this point in time, in 1958, that in Western, shooting guns out of people's hands was such a common trope, they didn't even need to explain it. They just, everyone knew that's what was going on. That's how I read that.
1: Right, because they didn't want television and comics to be as violent, so it's that way you could subdue your your enemy without killing them. You are just kind of yep. shooting guns out of their hands. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, gosh, what else? Uh, I mean, again, I think the best parts for me is I love the parts where he's leaping. He's doing a lot of leaping and a lot of diving. Cause what he's, he's coming around blind corners and he's like, okay, if I jump low, they're going to shoot at waist high. So they're going to shoot above me, so there's a lot of leaping downwards, and then as he's flying through the air, he spins and starts shooting at him. I mean, it's like a Bruce Willis, two-gun, two fisted kind of thing. Uh, just very exciting. And again, I, I dug this one because after reading so many retreads of the Secret Identity and Jeopardy story, this one's the one I felt like, wow, this was a Western. This felt yeah. like something you know I could see in the cinema as a, a great western story. So I I absolutely loved it cover to cover. Well, we, we seven sur- and a half pages, seven and a half
1: pages. Yeah, we we surmised that this strip was a labor of love for Gil Kane. Because uh, he just got the sense he was really into this stuff, and by the fact that he came back to do the who's who listing and came back to do the the whatever happened to story, made me you know get, get got the sense that cocaine really liked doing this. But I did think when I was reading page two of this story, and mm-hmm. there's probably almost I'd say thirty to forty characters
2: mm-hmm. in
1: in two or three of the pen. He must have been like oh, come on, Kanegar, what are you doing to me? You know, (laughs) had to draw all those people. This is like, oh, my God. That's just so much extra work to draw all that stuff. But but then again, there's other sequences, panels, where it's just Johnny Thunder or one or two other characters. So, I mean, he kind of, like, bounces it out. But that second page, you're like, oh, man, that's a lot of work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, Bob! I do like on page three the way he illustrated Johnny's sideburns. Um, they kind of remind me again. Of Son- I keep going back to Son of Tomahawk, but they look a little bit like cause Son of Tomahawk has some like funky sideburns too. Sort of looks like his sideburns, I think.
1: There's definitely some Elvis in there, I would yeah. say as well. Uh, and I love on page seven the the the, the page uh, width uh, panel of the two guys getting mm-hmm. getting. Uh, Shot and it says, well, they're not getting shot. He says suddenly out of the cloud of dust, you got us thunder. You got us. How can we fight anyone? We can't see. And they just look utterly terrified. Like the faces are so distinctive. It's just, Oh my God. It's so I, I, you just feel like Gil Kane is just loving the hell out of doing the strip. Yeah, he just feels like he's just enjoying it so much, and I love all the, the shadows and stuff. Again, it's just his work, his work on the strip is exemplary. I it, it's kind of revelatory in a, in a lot of ways. Where I mean, obviously respected Gil Kane because I knew him from superhero comics, and certainly decades of work on Green Lantern, and he did all those great Marvel covers, and he did Conan, and I mean all the stuff I was familiar with, and then you see him, you see this. And it's, you know, like, well, there wasn't like a whole like these stories were just basically forgotten other than a couple Mm -hmm. of other than a couple of reprints, which I'll mention in a moment. These Johnny Thunder stories are relatively unavailable. And yet, you know, Kane was bringing it as a professional uh, to the full extent of his abilities, you know, for, for a seven page or eight page story. It's like, God bless you, Gil Kane. You really, really did a great job on this.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I and we said this in Who's Who coming in is that, you know, I came to Gil Kane in the 80s and his work was very stylized at that point. And it really a lot of it wasn't my cup of tea, so I didn't start off with a love for Gil Kane. I had to sort of build it by finding stuff I liked, and it was like, okay, I kind of like this, but I don't like this. I like this, but I don't like this, you know. And now, and also Western comics, I didn't care about Western comics. I'm like, I don't want to read that crap. That's not my thing. Now, this is you know, the whole purpose of this show has led me to now love this kind of material, and as you said, appreciation for it, and realize this is something that's sort of been lost. It's like my beloved Sad Sack comic. No one remembers it. It's, just gone. it's an artifact of the past that not many people remember, and aren't, in 50 years, people might not remember at all. You probably.
1: Know? Yeah, yeah, probably. And,
0: and it's sad to think that Gil Kane's amazing artwork from 1958 won't be cherished like it's being cherished by us at this moment.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of forgotten, though, it was kind of fun to look at all these old comics, and almost all of these strips have come back in one form or another. The Trigger Twins or Strongbow, like they got who's who listings except – for Foley mm-hmm. of the Fighting Fifth. I was literally yep. like, what the hell is Foley of the Fighting Fifth? <laughs> I didn't know what it was either. <laughs> yeah, and it's just that's, that's, you know, a lot of these features have been dusted off and given some new life by some writer here and there except for Foley of the, F- the Fighting Fifth. He maybe appeared in some James Robinson story we don't know about. Probably but Graham Morrison or James Robinson. Or Robinson. Or Morrison, yeah, but I mean he seems to be one of the characters that was decidedly forgotten by, by history.
0: Like Super Chief showed up, I think, if I remember right, in the last issue of All Star Western. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading it, I'm like, it's totally bonkers. The Super Chief story is crazy. And I can see why like this like this never got picked up again. And yet he's had a whole lot of life afterwards where people are like, I remember Super Chief, we gotta bring him back. So
1: yeah, he's, he, he's managed to come back here and there. I did mention. I did want to mention that some of these stories have been reprinted. Uh, not many, uh, but this story, the one that I just talked about, was reprinted in Super DC Giant number S twenty two, which was like their kind of like big, like um, it wasn't a hundred page book, but it was like an eighty page book. Uh, and it also reprints uh, American um, All Star Western number ninety seven. It was their Top Guns of the West issue. Mm. And then in Super DC Giant S fourteen, it reprints All Star. Westerns ninety nine and one o seven. That was another Top Guns of the West collection. I actually have both of those. Uh, so you would so actually read this particular story before today? No, I have not. I have. Oh, okay. I don't remember it. I may have. <laughs> I may have picked that comic up and just was like, because the cover's by Joe Kubert. I may have okay. just bought it just for the Kubert cover. Uh, or if I did look at it, I certainly didn't remember because maybe when I got it, I didn't have an appreciation of it. So, but at least there are a couple of these Johnny Thunder stories aside from the reprint title which you mentioned uh, th- that are available for very cheap you can get them on ebay for next to nothing but they unfortunately that's it they have not been collected in any way
0: well since we just we just shared our love here for issues number 86 of all-star western and 104 of all-star western we've got a few honorable mentions to, uh, to, to point out as well so if you are going to seek out some here's some other ones you can seek out i think you got the first one
1: yeah number 90 all-star western number 90 the cowboy genie uh, which features uh, this great, this amazing splash page of a woman rubbing a magic lamp, and Johnny Thunder is coming out of it, shooting a <laughs> bunch of guys, which is just great because they read a book about a genie, and it's got all this kind of stuff. And Johnny Thunder meets uh, this this young girl named Miss Serena Ames, owner of the Triple S Ranch. She wins the services of Johnny Thunder for a day, which is you know, thank God for the Comics Code. Uh, but he hangs <laughs> out with her. But the reason that I picked this story, I mean, aside from the artwork, again, it's got this great. Of Johnny again shooting guns out of people's hands. Uh, at the very last uh, panel, uh, she has used up two of her wishes. And it says later, after the gang is jailed, and he says, What's your third wish, Miss Serena? And she just goes, Can't you guess, Johnny? And she's puckering up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a sweet. And even and Sheriff Tain in the background is like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's so Gil Kane's profile of this girl with her little button nose. And her little uh, her her hair and like a little bit of a top knot kind of thing. It's really adorable. It's really sweet. I just I love the way it ends like that because of course you know these were mostly aimed at boys who were probably like oh icky girl I don't that. But it was it was cool that I just love that kind of button on the story that that she's, <laughs> she she thinks Johnny Thunder is really really handsome, which of course he is. So it's a it's a very very fun story. So yeah, that was my honorable mention was number ninety, the Cowboy Genie. Awesome. Uh,
0: my first one is in issue 102. It's called The Prize of Peril, and this was almost the one I was going to do. Uh, it, it features Swift Deer, his, uh, his young ward, or not ward, but a sort of sidekick, the Native American. And in the idea, they, Swift Deer is trying to earn a medallion to show his you know honor amongst the other Native Americans, and Johnny's trying to help him. So in some ways, it's a little bit like a, a Batman and Robin story, a Silver Age story, where it's like you know, Batman's trying to help Robin You know, Grow up and, and mature some You know, it's, It feels a little bit like that Kind of story but it was fun and again It's it's back when Kane was inking himself So it's just absolutely stunning Just beautiful. Uh, the next one I was thinking about doing was uh, issue 112 Which was the hand-me-down badge Which may have possibly been my favorite of all the Stories I read actually because this one It was just a really nice story. Uh, the only reason I, I skipped to those because it was another big focus On the secret identity so it was another a little bit Like a, a, a Jimmy Olsen story where there's a young kid, and because of the young kid, uh, he has to maintain both identities, but in the end, it's actually John Tane that saves the day, not Johnny Thunder. And it's all about this kid trying to deal with the fact that he's uh, the youngest of a family, so all of his stuff is hand-me-downs. And Johnny Thunder ends up getting the badge or the the sheriff's badge as a hand-me-down as well. Or, or John Tane gets the badge as a hand-me-down as well. It's, it's really, really a great story. And that's – now Joe Giella started inking by that point. And then uh, I looked at 117 and 118, which are the first two of the three appearances of Madam 44. The first one's called Six-Gun Showdown with Madame 44. It's her very first appearance. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it's, an, it's a great story where you learn a lot about her, again, as as the rogue, you know, the lovable rogue kind of thing. It does, again, feel like a Lois Lane kind of story. There's a lot of uh, romance in there, romance and adventure mixed together. The next issue is kind of the same way, uh, number 118, which is called The Eyes of Johnny Thunder. That's a great one, though, because he ends up getting blinded by, I think, gunpowder or a, or a glancing shot or something, and she ends up messing up her arm really bad, and so I mentioned earlier, they're working together where she's his eyes. She's like, shoot over here and move to the left and go here, you know, and, and it's a really nice story, 118, and, and those were two of the, the final issues, really. 119 being the absolute last one. Now, a lot of the stories, you mentioned the girl trying to get the kiss off of Johnny. There are a lot of stories about a young lady falling in love with Johnny in these various stories, and some of them feel very they even introduced a couple different characters that were very Lana Lang like, where they were always trying to pull a gimmick to trick Johnny into loving him, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of felt felt very Lana Lang. And we already talked about the sheriff. There's a lot where it feels very Perry White, where it's, you know, the the more fatherly type character, in this case, the Sheriff was actually the father, but Perry White was more of a father figure, is is put the the hero in a position where he's gotta do the split identity stuff. So there's a lot of stories like that. So But lots and lots to check out there. Um, I think any of them you find, you're going to love. They're all a win. I think they're great.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I was a little sad to find that there are no, as far as I could find, Western comics podcasts. Hmm. There are no podcasts on Western because I was like, if there's one out there, I would love to run the promo. But as far as I know, I could not find any. So this is really like an un... Just unremarked corner of comic book history, which is too bad because, you know, Westerns were, as we've seen, they were a big thing. When superheroes had faded, everybody was doing Westerns. Yeah. You know, the only thing that I can remember
0: being even reprinted in recent years uh, – now, of course, there's been the more recent All-Star Western comics from D.C. You know, they did Jonah Hex. They Jonah did All-Star Hex, Western. Right. Sure. But as far as old stuff, the only, I, the only thing I can the, Batlash, I want to say, had some reprints, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a a showcase or something. Um, But I can't remember much else really getting reprinted. And I'd be interested in reading some of these because there's a lot of different Western characters all with sort of their own niche. And uh, a lot of their names are about to come up here because I wanted to talk about the various appearances after Johnny Thunder. Because, again, as I said, he, he appeared regularly from 1948 to 1961. And then he just vanishes for a long time. So, he shows up again in the reprints in 1973, I think it was. Then he doesn't show up again until 1978 in Showcase number 100, which is that big, awesome crossover issue that has everybody who's ever been in Showcase. Now, I flipped through there. I couldn't find him in there. Uh, Batlash is in there. Uh, He may be in the back in a cameo somewhere, but I didn't see Johnny Thunder. He
1: is in one panel. I can Uh, tell you where he is. He is in one panel on the splash page two and three. Uh, There's a panel where you see... Sergeant Rock and Fireman Farrell and a bunch of the other characters and Enemy Ace's uh, biplane. It's it's above the main panel with all the superheroes. And it says, uh, all over the planet, the inexplicable has become commonplace. Long and active volcanoes have erupted. Weather conditions going awry. And people, somehow displaced in time, have been popping up centuries after their natural time period. And there he is. He's standing there with his gun looking uh, completely shocked. But that's it. That's his one panel appearance that he gets in this comic. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for finding that. So, uh, Next up, he appears in Canceled Comics Cavalcade, which really wasn't a true comic book. But either way, shows him in Canceled Comics Cavalcade in 1978, uh, the second volume. And that's really just because he gets mentioned on a cover. There's a there's a cover for a series that didn't come to be called Western Classics. It's actually got Batlash on the cover, if I remember right. But it does say, featuring Johnny Thunder in a story. So across the top But that's that's all you get on that one. Then you get – where you really get to his real first – Appearance since he disappeared in 1961 Is in December 1980 With the DC Comics Presents uh, number 28 That Rob already covered, the Whatever Happened To story right So that's, that's really the first big Appearance and uh, I see you had marked that. You were supposed to say all that. Sorry about that. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> then the next time we really see him is in 1985 for a little something I like to call Crisis on Infinite Earths. And uh, he appeared in issues three, four, and five, mostly in issue three. That's the one where they, the Monitor sends these groups of heroes back to various time periods where he sends uh, Cyborg, John Stewart, Firebrand, and Simon back to the Old West. And there they, he gets to they interact with Scalp Hunter. Backlash, Jonah Hex, Nighthawk and Johnny Thunder. And it's, it's funny, I, every time I go back to Crisis now, because you know I, I've read it a lot. I can't even count how many times I've read that series, obviously. But since we've done the Who's Who podcast, it's so much more fulfilling for me now. Because every because it used to be like oh here's a bunch of old Western characters I've kind of sort of heard of now it's like I know who every single character in this book is and it's so deeper and so different and so weird so it's so much fun to see all these characters together and under George Perez's pencils oh my gosh mm-hmm. then uh, then you, you get, then you he makes some appearances just in like. Um, You know, uh, glossary. Who's who? He appears in history of the DC Universe. So, those aren't really story appearances, but he, you know, he appears in those. Then, in 1989, he made an appearance in Swamp Thing number 85 during the Rick Veach run with uh, Tom Andrake in a story called My Name is Nobody, where (laughs) uh, you were a Swamp Thing guy. Did
1: you read this issue? No, I had given up on Swamp Thing by that point, but I want to read that just because A, it's Johnny Thunder's in it. And I also, My Name is Nobody is the name of a Western. Of an uh, of, of an of an Italian Western, so that's a nice nod.
0: Oh, that's uh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. So, well, I just read it today for the first time, and it's interesting because uh, it's Swamp Thing. He's back in the past; he's in the Old West, and Johnny Thunder is a key character in the story. And in fact, in fact, it takes place after the DC Comics presents because Madame Forty Four is his wife, and uh, she uses her feminine wiles quite a bit in the story, like. You know, trying to get guys' attention, and then if things get a little too heated, she's like, "Hey, we got to go save my husband." Hmm. Um, but uh, it's got so it's got them, it's got Batlash, it's got son of Tom- son of tomahawks in it. Uh, but he's, an, got, old he's really an old man. I've got to read this. He's an old man by comment. this point, though. Uh, it's got Jonah Hex, it's got El Diablo, it's got fire hair, and it's got Super Chief. And uh, shockingly, I didn't even know this existed for you Firestorm fans because this is, by the way, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. There is the Black Bison. It's not John Ravenhair from Fear of Firestorm Number One, Black Bison, but it's his ancestor of the Black Bison cult. So they, I, I've never was even made aware of that Black Bison appeared in the Swamp Thing story from the Old West. So that that freaked me out. So Swamp Thing Number Eighty Five, we're checking out. Then we jump forward to August 1990, he had a Secret Origins uh, appearance in issue number 50, which was you know the last uh, big episode Ryan did on the Secret Origins podcast, where he, uh, he had a story which basically covered his origin, but when it had with him help, helping his dad, and they worked in the origin into that one, which conflicts a little bit, by the way, with the DC Comics Presents, because in the origin, he reveals to his dad his secret identity, so it doesn't quite matter, I mean, they, they change a little bit, it's post-crisis, they're allowed to do that, I suppose. Then jump forward to uh, 1992 for Armageddon Alien Agenda number three. So this is the point where you just start checking out and going, really? I don't care about this (laughs) because it is not a good comic book. It's it's this period of time when Captain Adam was doing all these time travel hops and there's lots of western characters in this one and Johnny Thunder does have a decent sized part in it, but the comic's awful so who cares? Jump forward to September 1994 and you get Guy Gardner Warrior number 24. Now this is right after the death of Superman, right after uh, Hal Jordan has destroyed the Green Lantern battery, and Guy Gardner's running around as warrior before he got all the morphing, changing kind of stuff. He was in the, it was, it was this right little short in-between period. But either way, the only reason why it's really notable is because, again, it's, it's a time travel thing. There's a bunch of Western heroes, but they actually give the Western heroes a name. They're called the Rough Bunch. <laughs> That's what they call them. That was that, the original and,
1: name of the uh, Fire and Water Podcast Network.
0: It is. It's absolutely true. So uh, the rough bunch in this, uh, in this comic is Batlash, Cinnamon, El Diablo, Johnny Thunder, Madam 44, Matt Savage, Nighthawk, Pow Wow Smith, Scalp Hunter, and Strongbow. Uh, mostly bit parts, truthfully, but it's kind of cool that they gave him this name, and that name kind of sticks around a bit off and on, so... Fast forward to 1997, you get Impulse, annual number two. Is there's a backup story where uh, – I don't know if you know much about Max Mercury. He's, he's the Zen master of the speed force. He had this thing where he traveled through time a lot, um, mainly just forward. He would jump forward a number of years, sort of a uh, – he would quantum leap forward or whatever if you want. And in the in the Old West, he had a period where he met – a young Johnny Thunder, supposedly. And he met uh, this young Johnny Thunder right after his mother's death. So, suppo- supposedly, you know, retconned that Max, seeing this Max Mercury inspired him to create a secret identity of Johnny Thunder. Eh, you know, take it for what you want. <laughs> Then, uh, really, his last appearance is in September 2010, and this is just a super cameo. It's in DC Legacies, uh, which came out in 2010. Issue number three is a cameo. He was just on a a television, and they're referring to all these old West TV shows, and they had him in there. And that's it. Um, I don't know if you've ever read DC Legacies, by the way. I have not. For anyone that uh, hasn't read DC Legacies, Get the trade paper back. It is well worth your time. It's written by Len Wein. It's got a lot of different artists. And it was published in 2010. And what it is, is it's sort of a it's telling the history of the DC Universe, basically. It talks about, you know, the JSA, it talks about the All West, and goes forward, you know, to the Death of Superman. It kind of covers all the various eras of the DC universe. And why that's critically important is two things. One, it's written by Len Wein, so it's excellent. Two, it's got a lot of different artists. And third, it's published in 2010 right before convergence in the new 52. <laughs> so it's sort of your last gasp of what we would call the post-crisis DC universe. It's the it's a great snapshot of the history of the DC universe. So I highly recommend it. I love it. I've actually bought it twice now. I like it so much. So I uh, highly recommend it. Now, Madam 44 did appear Recently, she was in the the new 52 All-Star Western comic. She appeared in 2014. She was in two backup issues. And it's a little weird. They changed her costume. Uh, it's still basically the same outfit, but it, now it's – instead of being all white, there's like parts of it that are white and black. The little heart and the shading – anyway, it, it looks a little different. And um, – it was, it, it's a weird story because it's very steeped in demons and parallel worlds and mystical stuff whereas all the Johnny Thunder stories had nothing at least all the ones I've read had nothing fantastical there were no aliens there was no magic there was no anything it was all straight story uh, and so this one was a little bit unusual for, for that but um, in general I, you know it was really fun crawling through all this post-crisis history and finding the Johnny Thunder stuff and finding all these other writers that decided they loved these comics enough that they wanted to bring the character back as well
1: it was cool to know that uh, the the one off story wasn't a fluke, you know, like that yeah. the, the, the whatever happened to wasn't like the wasn't like we read that one, And we're like oh that's the good one. The rest of these are kind of uh. no, we really enjoyed pretty much all, all you know any one that we read. Yeah, it's been really really great. Well, any closing thoughts on uh, Johnny? Uh, I you know Who's Who again really did its job. You know, I mean mm-hmm. it's 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 I I know I mean we all know now that Who's Who has been put on Comicsology. Uh, which is great, and it's a shame that I guess it would be hard to do this, but it's it's it would be neat if when they put Who's Who up, you couldn't then uh, also put up on Comicsology accompanying comics uh, with like you know links and stuff that you could be like, hey, you like this Johnny Thunder listing? Well, click here to get some Johnny Thunder comics because like, that's what Who's Who did for a lot of characters and certainly did for us, which made me go like, well, who is this guy? This sounds really interesting. And you didn't really have access to them unless you were willing to go through back issue boxes. And unfortunately with Johnny Thunder, that's still the case. You basically can't get this stuff. Uh, but uh, it would be neat if that's, you know, I mean, they Comicsology DC has been putting more and more stuff up, up on, on its unlimited side or whatever than we ever would have imagined. So who knows of this stuff? And good lord, with the way the the TV series are going, I think John <laughs> Thunder is going to eventually get his own show at some point. I'm shocked that he hasn't been optioned. I mean, John.
0: I mean, I guess Jonah Hex was was the biggest name and did get optioned, obviously, a few times now. But uh, yeah, and that I mean,
1: works sh- so well.
0: <laughs> now you talk about the who's who thing. DC Universe has done. Kind of what we want, but not the way we want it. They do have sort of an index of characters where you can go and you can read about a character and it does have hyperlinks, but it's a little more clinical, probably not the right word, but it's a little more Wikipedia than who's who. Mm-hmm. You know, who's who is always is like art in your face. And some text, whereas this is more Wikipedia with a couple pictures, and you click over and you go, you know, it takes you different places. So it's it's not quite what we want, but it's you know, it's a halfway step. It's better than nothing. This and then you find that again on the DC Unlimited app. So sounds good. uh. All right, well, folks, we are going to take a podcast promo break, and when we come back, we are going to cover your feedback from the Captain Fear episode of Who's That?
3: Uh, I don't know. Modern-day comics just don't seem to have the magic the older ones did. I wish I could go back to those days. What what the Wait you're me? But but I'm me! How is this possible? I'm you! From the future! What happens to my voice? Oh, well, uh, actually, I kind of was eating peanuts before I came back, and uh, one of them went down the wrong tube. I'm still trying to get it out, actually. (coughs) (coughs) Nothing. Well, still, the future must be terrible. I mean, your hair's half burnt off. Oh, Well, actually, I tripped and fell over the stove. What about the scar on your face? It's a paper cut. And the eye patch? I was looking through a telescope and accidentally pointed at the sun. Look, I have a reason for being here. I built a time machine so you can go back to the past and check out the comics of yesteryear. I figure you'll either enjoy the good old days or you'll gain an appreciation for the current comics. Maybe both. Can I bring some friends with me? Sure, but. Only one at a time. Well, there you have it. Join me, Mike Staley, and an assortment of co-hosts as we look over the world of DC Comics from half a century ago in my new monthly podcast, DC 50 Years Ago. Who are you talking to? Uh, Don't worry about it. Just check out DC 50 Years Ago on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, and at dc50yearsago.podomatic.com. Seriously, who are you talking to? I'm Jen and I'm
2: Sean we're here to tell you about our podcast worst collection ever
3: And this is the show where we tell you about the worst comic book collection in existence and it just happens to belong to us
2: we have some of the worst comics from the 70s 80s and 90s they're bad they don't they're not worth anything no good why do we own them I own a number of issues of Terror Inc. and Guy Gardner.
3: Basically, we go around to local comic book stores and we buy everything we can out of dollar boxes.
2: We tell you about the weird stuff in them. We tell you about stuff that's related to them. We go into tangents. And we're very uninformed, so... Oh my
3: God, totally. But totally check out our podcast because you'll hear us just talk and joke about Marvel books and DC books from God only knows when.
2: That's right. It's our show, Worst Collection Ever, every Tuesday... On iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Download, rate, subscribe, tell a friend.
3: It'll be good and terrible, but good.
0: All right, folks, it is time for Who's Who, Hows, and Whys, which is your feedback from the episode we did a year ago So you probably don't even remember when you wrote this stuff folks uh, All about the Captain Fear episode of Who's That Rob
1: I think you're up first Yeah back then $5 could buy you a car uh, So we got a, uh, got a comment from uh, David S. Gutierrez He says what a great surprise I like these character spotlights And it's a good listen with both uh, Who's Who hosts Also I think you owe us a Captain Compass show I yeah. don't know if I agree with that but But okay uh, there is a particular war era character uh,
0: That I really want to do a Who's that on So uh, it's not Captain Compass But there's somebody yeah, So okay. And that was David Ace Gutierrez folks The executive producer of Pod Dillon And the owner and
1: operator of the Katana Banana I tried David I tried
0: up next is Alexander Osias, and he says uh, had much of the same reaction to Captain Fear and Who's Who way before I knew about the Filipinos in comics, and especially Alex Nino. But I never followed up on him again. Uh, that is, this is really interesting and very much the other point of view of history dealing with the experience of natives and slaves and minorities in a pulp adventure milieu. Very good, and
1: well, well done using "mill" you in a sentence, Alex. I'm impressed. <laughs> well done. Dr. Ange, of course, who was my guest for the very first episode of Who's That on The Crime Doctor, he says, Great episode. Yes, the Who's Who entry reminded me of a certain mascot for rum, and so in my head I dismissed him as silliness. <laughs> After seeing the gallery page, I think I have to go out and find these issues. The art alone makes them worth tracking down. The Nino stuff is just gorgeous. I am a bit surprised that Shag didn't mention Fury of Fire from number 37, drawn by Nino. Just incredible. Thanks for all the kind words on the first episode. As I said, the vegetable panel of the Crime Doctor story has haunted my vision since I read it <laughs> off the rack, so I was still to do the show. Can I suggest a Dr. Zinzin as a possible character for an upcoming episode? That's not a bad suggestion either because I never heard of that character until that listing, which was drawn by Bill Sienkiewicz, and it is yeah. so good. So that's actually a really a really good pick, Ange.
0: That is a good pick. By the way, Doctor Ange is from the Legion Superbloggers and the uh, Supergirl uh, blog um, comic box commentary. Yep. So yeah, um, all of the, and dude, the Alex Nino Fury Firestorm number thirty-seven. I was so embarrassed when Ange left that comment, and I'm like, <laughs> how did I not mention that? And then I went back and listened to that episode where we kind of bagged on him because. I mean, the stuff I don't he think did. He's a good fit for superhero comics. Yeah, he, he's not. And the stuff he did with Captain Fear was amazing. Yes. And the superhero stuff, not so much. Yeah. But uh, I just couldn't believe that I didn't put that together because it hadn't been that long since we did that episode too. So. Mm. <laughs> Egg on my face. Thank you, Dr. Andrew. I will thank you in person when I see you next week. Uh, then we heard from Centauri, which is our buddy uh, Adam Ackerman. He says, uh, so they draw the captain left-handed uh, direction of the guns, and the hand with the sword is in, but the scabbard is on the side uh, for a right-handed person. And a rapier and not a cutlass? A sword that went out of style in the 17th century. Plus, is it uh, too long to use as well on board a ship? So, uh, you know... Adams coming at this from a place of knowledge he knows a lot about swords this, right <laughs> and uh, Adam well I sincerely appreciate your honesty and uh, you know attention to detail and history um, it's comics. Stop making them not fun. Stop it.
1: <laughs> thanks a lot, Adam. I'm picturing Adam as the the guy that tries to challenge Indiana Jones to a sword fight. You know, he's right. going, r, 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 and he's just like, oh my God. Uh, Chris Franklin, of course, from our network, he says, Great episode, guys. It was great to hear two friends on my first long commute to my new work location. Sorry, that was over a year ago, Chris. Uh, thanks for <laughs> helping me get there with some fun discussion. Well, thank you, and I hope that. The, the other Who's Who episodes we've been doing have been helping out in the years since you've started driving that longer route.
0: It's a lot of miles on that car yeah. <laughs> since that last episode. Uh, we heard from Brian Lint, and he goes, Thanks to my wife and daughter, I am the proud owner of the LEGO Justice League Cosmic Clash. Uh, which we mentioned last episode because it has Captain Fear in it. Because despite having watched the movie several times and having listened to every episode of the Who's Who podcast, I did not recognize Captain Fear in in his film debut. I am so ashamed. I guess it's time for me to go back and re-listen to all of the old Who's Who episodes to make sure that never happens again. And, yeah, Brian, get right on that. Uh, And he goes, My impression of Lego Captain Fear is that he's a self-interested pirate rather than an evil villain. Sure, he doesn't like Hal Jordan, but that doesn't put him on the same level as Sinestro. I'm sure there's some other heroes in the DC universe who wouldn't mind seeing Hal swab some decks. (laughs) There are also some certain podcasters on this very show who wouldn't mind seeing Hal taking down a peg or two. Then we heard from our buddy Martin Gray from the Too Dangers for a Girl blog. He says, oddly enough, Captain Compass got a name check in the Steve Orlando Wonder Woman story this month from a year ago. Uh, apparently, he's now running a luxury
1: cruiser as the Argus Prisoner Ship. Hmm, look at that. Way to go, Captain Compass. <laughs> Martin also says, I bet Rob could get from the love boat to Citizen Kane and MASH in about 10 seconds flat. Oh, gosh. Challenge accepted, Martin. Uh, <laughs> oh no, Joseph oh, no. Joseph Cotton, who was in Citizen Kane, guest appeared on the Love Boat, and Loretta Swit, who was on Mash, guest appeared on the Love Boat. So there you go, <laughs> two
0: degrees of, of,
1: of Rob Kelly. <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of people are on the Love Boat. Uh, yes. Gothos Mansion, uh, he left the comment. He says, "Thanks for the fun show. I haven't read the Nino drawn issues." I wonder if Captain Fear was a favorite of Simonson's. The three-part story he drew was reprinted in the art of Walt Simonson trade paperback. That is where I saw it. I think Simonson must have had some say-so in what was included because the cape and Cal death trap featured Simonson's original splash page at Batman Smiling, which was changed on the original comic. And just a bit of clarification. Nino didn't draw Rima the Jungle Girl. He drew backup stories in the first five issues. Nestor Redondo drew the Rima stories. Yeah, I'm probably the only Rima fan in your audience. I didn't discover her And Who's Who, though. Thank you, Gothos. Yes, I am completely wrong. He did not draw the Rima comics. Uh, he did the backup in, in Rima. That was Nestor Redondo with Joe Kubert covers. So, sorry about that.
0: And I am also a fan of Rima Well, I've never really read any of her stories. Um, she's
1: smoking hot.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they were from Max Traver. He goes, yes, a new who's that? I hereby second the nomination for a balloon buster episode. <sighs> man man after my heart right there uh and max goes on to say as for captain fear i also had the judas coin original graphic novel and i can echo shag's enthusiasm for that work i also have read the architect story before it was collected so all right good choices max then we heard from our buddy uh, Ido Bosnar, who I just said his name wrong, I believe, so sorry about that. He goes, uh, I'm familiar with the character, talking about um, Captain Fear, I'm familiar with the character because like Gothos mansion above, I have The Art of Walt Simonson, trade Paperback, an absolutely wonderful book. And by the way, in his brief text introduction to the Captain Fear stories, Simonson explained the reason for the change in historical periods uh, in a slightly greater detail. Now, just Mr. Shag for a second, uh, it's been a year, so you probably don't remember. We made a lot of comments on how the year changed when like the first Alex Nino story and then the next one with Walt Simonson. there was a dramatic change in the number of years in between we're like wait a minute this doesn't track hmm. and we just figured whatever well here we go here's the explanation Uh, He says that um, – he describes it as the beautifully drawn Alex Nino stories were a historical rat nest. He goes on that the tales were set in the 1850s more than 100 years after the heyday of the Caribbean buccaneers yet featured Spaniards wearing the helmets of the conquistadors unidentifiable but undeniably ancient firearms and ship types when they were identifiable that were hundreds of years out of date. So after uh, after noting that he loves old sailing ships and always wanted to draw a story with them, he says that he and David Michelini fashioned the tale, recasting our hero in the mid-18th century, a mere 30 years after the apex of the pirate glory. We sandwiched in full-rigged ships, a ninja warrior, and much more real history as uh, we could inject. There we go. Look at that. That's, That's fantastic. a fantastic answer.
1: Yes. I love that. I love learning that. That's great. That's Because you and I were both like, what? Like, Yeah. Like, what, what happened? That's really cool. Thank you for the info. Uh, DC Dave says Only Rob and Chad could take a half page Entry from Who's Who And turn it into A 45 minute discussion (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Too bad there's no Quarter page Who's Who listings We could have Done that in a show Uh, I've been listening to you guys For a couple years now And I've got to say You guys sounded more excited Doing this episode Than I think I've heard In a long time Mm. I don't mean that In a bad way You guys are always great But something about this episode You could hear so much Genuine enthusiasm And excitement about the character It reminded me Why I enjoy listening To shows on the network And shows that feature you guys Thanks for the fun listen well thank you DC Dave, we appreciate it And I, I mean the, the the Who's Who The Who's That Spinoff show is I think designed To pick a character that we Discover and then really kind of fall in love with Because I think if we found somebody through Who's Who And then read some stories and we thought they were Crap, we probably wouldn't do the show So I mean it's kind of built into the System is that, oh hey this is really cool Here's this thing that's really cool that most people At least we didn't know about So it, it kind of comes built in that we're going to Love what we're talking about
0: it's a safe bet if we do a bunch of research on a character and they suck we're probably not going to do the episode yeah we're going to bail on it (laughs) yeah it's definitely a find your joy but uh you know it's kind of fun Uh, if i remember right and i don't have a good memory so forgive me if i'm wrong here many many years ago i think you and i actually broke dc dave uh when we had a fake argument on the air about earth 2 aquaman and uh it was well it was the, the argument, the words were real, but the uh, the heat and the anger in our voices was not. Uh, and I think Dave was one of the people who wrote us saying, Hey, hey guys, I'm, I'm not real comfortable with this. So <laughs> I'm glad that we're giving you some joy, Dave. That's the goal. That's the goal. Uh, then we hear from Jeff Tisher, and he says, I have a print of Dr. 13's Team 13 by Cliff Chang signed and hanging in my comic room. I can't recommend arch- uh, Architecture and Morality enough. Yeah, definitely check that out, guys. Uh, that, that was recommended to me by Dr. Ange and again has Captain Fear and a whole bunch of other really great characters it's a lot a lot of fun then we heard Warfield, from Ward Hill Terry he goes the sample pages you provided were amazing it's stuff like this that most comic creators don't know about for example I've been enjoying for many months now the website Marvel University often the writers and responders will point to a particular Marvel Bronze Age classic story and use it to disparage other comic companies specifically DC too often that I think that fans think DC Comics from the early 70s were just stories like The Flash versus The Top or Superman versus Wacky Aliens. Characters like Captain Fear and the war books and the horror books are great examples of excellence in comic art. Huh. Yeah, absolutely, Ward Hiltar. And, you know, these Western ones are a good example of stuff from the 50s. You know, everyone thinks the 1950s is like the vanilla Batman and Superman, and yet we hear we found these really cool, awesome Western stories in the same time period.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: they did. DC published a lot of comics. Got a lot yeah, of things did. Yeah, they did. So, all right, folks. Remember, go out to our website. And what's that website, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Yep, and you'll be able to see some of the different images of Johnny Thunder. And it's well worth your time. Gil Kane at his best, folks. And uh, go out to, uh, again, leave, our, leave your comments on our website. Visit us on social media, FW Podcasts on Twitter, Fire and Water Podcast Network on the Facebook page. And, you can of course, you can find Rob and I individually in various sites and tinders and whatever type of other programs you want to find uh i think it's gonna do it rom i think so yep so hopefully we'll be back in less than a year with another who's that but you'll definitely hear a who's who in the not too distant future until then folks
1: who's, who's next, next.